try to split it up, like to make a difference between when I'm speaking about non-duality and when I'm speaking about helping the person and relaxing the person. But also, it's really hard in language to continuously do that. Um, dear. So I'll tell you a bit about myself. So I started getting interested in this subject from quite a young age, but firstly, it was through Buddhism. So I was a practicing Buddhist for five years um, with a group called the, um, they were called the Foundation of the Western Buddhist Order and they've now got a different name, an Indian name, and I can't always remember it. It's like, like Tratton or something. Oh. You know them, yeah? I've heard of them, yeah. The guru's Sangharachita, but he's, he passed, I think, last year or a year before. So, um, and then I met Tony Parsons in about 2005. Um, I'd got into non-duality through Eckhart Tolle, and I think I was at like an Eckhart Tolle London meetup group, and then someone gave me a leaflet of like Tony Parsons or a teacher called Nathan Gill. I can't remember exactly how it happened, something like this. And then I met them, and prior to that, a Buddhist friend of mine had been really into Ramesh Balsaka, and then I went to India to see Ramesh and spent like quite a lot of time in India before he died with him. And then he passed me off onto one of his students called Roger Castillo, who's like a te teacher now. And then I went and lived with Roger for like three years in Australia. And then since then, so that was about 2011 I left there, I started teaching non-duality. So, yeah. Um, and I really love teaching non-duality, but I also see it as a teacher to myself as well. Like it's, it's, yeah, really um, like deep exploring non-duality with other people. Like from this side, it's a deep experience as well, like sharing it and coming up against people's problems and resistances. And then also the integrating it more into my life and into my body and expanding more. So. Yeah, it's been a really deep experience and a really like, strong teacher, I would say, as well, teaching it. So we'll now move on to non-duality. So normally the way I do it is um, I do um, like an introduction and then question and answers. Normally at the beginning I do like silent sitting, but maybe we do it the other way around today. Maybe I just do some talking and then questions and answers and then we do silent sitting because we'll find like two hours of talking is just too much like <laughs> just guess like some people can do that but you'll find your body will begin to get fidgety or maybe we have to take a bit of a break and walk around we'll see so i can be really flexible with my words in the sense that um i really see non-duality as something that we cannot express in words and so therefore I, can, I feel like I can hear it in many different ways and I also feel like I could express it in many different ways. Like I don't feel like it's, it's like I can give you a sentence and say this is what non-duality is. Like I, it's so, it's, it's, it's way beyond what we can think about. So when I speak, it might sound like I'm contradicting myself often, but it's more that I just don't see it as a fixed thing that we can say this is the way it is. I see more the expression of non-duality as a pointing to something beyond what we intellectually know. And uh, it's really miraculous of how that's recognized and how that's known, like, because it's beyond what we know intellectually. It's so, so this is my interpretation 
that coming through the Lisa body of what non-duality is. So right now we're all looking at each other and most people have a story appearing that that person that's looking is something that you can describe in time. So most people feel like when they're sitting on the sofa like, or sitting on the chairs now listening, that they are a somebody listening. And that somebody is a story in time. So that somebody is, um, say, you're a banker or a builder or um, an accountant or um, an athlete for your job. Um, we feel that that is something to do with who is listening and watching this talk now. So we feel that there is a soul or an entity that's sitting here in these bodies, watching out of these eyes, looking at Lisa and having an experience. And what non-duality is trying to point to is, yes, that is appearing. There is thoughts appearing about what you have and haven't done in your life, but that's not actually who's experiencing now. That's, it sounds really alien, like there's something else inside you. So that, that person that we describe ourselves to be in time isn't actually experiencing in this moment now. Non-duality would go on to say that it's also an experience that's happening. So the person that says, I'm a nice person, I'm a good person, isn't something that's always here. It's something that's changing and coming and going. But there is something that's always here experiencing. So, so it's questioning who is experiencing. Our assumption is, like, so when I was younger, before I got into this subject, I had, like, I suppose the Christian view of there was a soul inside here. And I maybe kind of thought that hopefully when I die, that soul would go on somewhere. Maybe on bad days, I hoped it wouldn't, but like, it was the opposite. But I kind of like had this view that, that I, there was something that was inside this body looking out of this body and that felt like me. Um, I can maybe see even without non-duality and without this subject that my body was changing. So I maybe didn't have as strong identification with the physical body, but I certainly felt like there was an entity in here looking out experiencing and I felt like that entity was a story in time went to school or like loved theater whatever it was loved storytelling like so I thought that was watching but when you really pay attention to the experience you'll notice that that's not always there so the story of you isn't always there but there is always a consciousness and and I also remember when somebody first told me this, like my Buddhist friend first told me this, I thought, what's the point in knowing that? Like, I also didn't understand the point of understanding. It I was like, it's like boring. Like they were, and he'd be like, who's watching? And he'd be like, it's not the character. And I didn't get the point of it. Whereas now I can say from experience that when there's a detachment happening from that character, there is a sense of freedom that happens in your experience. So when you're totally identified with that character, there is um, what I would define as suffering. And when you detach from that, there is a freedom that appears. It doesn't mean the character fixes itself. Like I still have fucked up dynamics. So it doesn't 
necessarily fix that. It might aid it and help it. Sometimes it maybe makes it worse because you don't like look after the personal stuff enough. But um, but there is in the detachment there is a knowing of something beyond being human and I feel like living a life where you kind of integrate them both like having this human experience and then also knowing this non-human experience is a freedom beyond anything that you can find in life that's um might sound confusing but I'll go over it again and then you can ask um questions um so right now there is looking happening so you're all looking at me and as well as looking at me there is a consciousness of the wall behind me when you're looking at me you might have judgments of me and there's nothing wrong with that but there might be a judgment arising of me but the looking the wall behind it's most probably it's in your consciousness but there's no judgment of it like so you're not you're maybe putting effort into listening to me and focusing on me but there is also a consciousness of the wall of the chair of the table of the space but that consciousness isn't in thought so you're thinking about me you're interpreting me whereas other items aren't being interpreted but they're appearing in consciousness so they're appearing in experiencing. And what we get mistaken by when we hear this word consciousness is we think what I'm talking about or what the person's talking about is personal awareness, is personal focus. So you're looking for an interpretation of what I say, so something in words and you're looking for something in time, in something which you focus on, rather than seeing that there is a consciousness here that's free all the time. So your consciousness that's conscious of the wall has no personal investment in it, it's just conscious of it. It doesn't, it doesn't care if the wall is pretty or ugly. It doesn't care anything about it, it's, it's, it's free. It's recognizing it freely and it's recognizing it instantaneously. So this is happening all the time, but what we're normally focused on is the personal world. So the personal world of you going into time. So the personal world of me, my story, how you feel about me. So maybe you're having an emotional reaction that happens to me, which is totally allowed. Like that's totally okay to have a personal reaction. Like, so you, that happens and we're focused in that world and we don't recognize that there is another part of experience happening, that there is a consciousness that isn't invested in the emotional human world, that is conscious and this consciousness is still. Another way that I could say it is that when you wake up in the morning, there is a consciousness that um, switches on before you. So when you wake up, you don't, you don't wake up first and say, let me just turn on my consciousness. This, a consciousness appears, and then in that, the person goes, oh, who am I, or what am I going to do today? Like, and then there's a memory of you that appears, so you don't like, um, let's switch it on. 
the consciousness switches on and then the you switches on. It's not, we don't even know what happens when you wake up in the morning whether consciousness switches on or off, that's beside the point. But what I'm trying to point out is there's a consciousness here that's beyond the personal. And what can happen in experience, which is an energetic ex expression, is there can be a movement from that personal world to this impersonal world. An energetic movement to a consciousness that's here. And we can break down consciousness and we can, um, we can call it different words. So with Tony Parsons, he would maybe call it everything, like he would hate the word consciousness. Um, I think it's a very convenient word, but I have no um, affiliation with it in the end. Like I'm happy to chuck that word out, but I think it's very convenient, like in, especially when you're communicating about this subject. So in every experience you have, so you could equally say, you could say there is always everything which the mind is like, no, there's not always everything. The moon's not here now, the trees aren't here. But, so you could question that. But the other thing that you could say is there is always consciousness. So you can't have an experience without consciousness, but you can have an experience without you. When you were a baby, you had no sense of you. When you were a toddler, you had no sense of you. But you always have consciousness. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, there is always consciousness. And, and it's amazing that that's never really explored in our society. Like we don't really think that that is always here. Whereas the person is always changing. You could change your jobs, you could change your view about yourself, you could change your emotions, you could change your feelings, but you um, can't change consciousness. And this consciousness has a freedom in it. Like it's, the reasons it's, it's free is because it has no emotional investment in anything. It doesn't care about anything, not in a negative way, not in a um, way, a human way, where it's like, I don't care about you, in, in the sense that it, it's just sitting here. It's silent, it's still. Like your, your consciousness isn't invested in anything. It doesn't have any desire for anything. It doesn't reject anything. So something really happened to us all now, like, like um, <laughs> like we all started spewing like Bleh! on each other. <laughs> like one person started, and the rest of us like Bleh! um, like something really. Like the consciousness part doesn't care. Like the same if there was like um, the house fell down, the consciousness part is free. The person cares, and I'm not talking about ignoring the person, but we've forgotten this element of us. That there is something here that can endure everything. It also doesn't have a memory, so it doesn't hold on to anything. It sounds really awful. I could imagine a psychologist listening to this and being like, what? <laughs> but it doesn't care or have a memory. So it's like you could do the worst act and consciousness has forgiven it. Like consciousness just witnesses it and experiences it and then it's gone. You, if you don't like this word consciousness, you can switch it to everything. You could switch it to God. You could switch it to... Brahman, whichever word you like, like it just is hold, holding life. And this, this as well as like in combination with the human element of stuff, like the human dynamics, is a freedom, like this consciousness 
this not consciousness, but this shift in perception, a recognition of something that's free right now, as well as living as a human being, can radically change your day-to-day -day experience of life. But it's this combination. The human side I'm not really talking about at the moment, but I don't mean to ignore the human side. I'm not talking about becoming really detached or unemotional or without having issues. It's remembering something in us that is never touched. But it's not really a memory like you, you would remember being a child. It's, it's a knowing of something that's inherently here. Like none of us are, like every, every one of us here have consciousness. We're all conscious that this is happening. Not, I used to get consciousness and thinking muddled up. Like, so I used to think that consciousness was a thought, like I, I think and so therefore there is a, a lamp there. Like I know this world through thinking, whereas actually we know this world through consciousness. There is a consciousness of everything. This isn't not happening, this isn't deep sleep. This is happening. And this consciousness is still, it's only here, and it's recognizing, and this is the most amazing part about it, is that it's not separate, so it's not dual. So consciousness, so I'm not outside of your consciousness. It's not even your consciousness, but we just say it like that for simplicity, that I'm not outside of your consciousness, that nothing here is outside of your consciousness. There is only consciousness happening. And there isn't a separation. So I'm not appearing outside of your consciousness. It's not like your consciousness comes up to here, it stops and then I appear. Like I wouldn't be in your, con like I wouldn't be appearing to you. It'd be like, I'd be just like a black hole. I am in your consciousness. My skin is your consciousness. And if you are consciousness, then that means that uh, there is no separation. There is no distance between us on the fundamental level. There's difference between us on a human level, but on our essence level, like who we truly are beyond form, there is no separation. My sound, the sound of my voice is your consciousness. You can even eventually get rid of consciousness, the word consciousness, and you can just, there is just everything happening. And who you are is everything, which is no thing, if you go really like to the extreme. So, This consciousness is to true intimacy. We're also scared of this consciousness because it's uncontrollable, it's impersonal, and it's total intimacy. Like if who you are now is consciousness over the person, there is no boundary between us. It's like really, like almost like <laughs> like you walked into the wrong changing room, like, oh, sorry, the wrong toilet. Especially if you're a woman, for a man, you just walk in, you see cubicle, cubicles, but for a woman, you walk in, you're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> like, so it's really like that because where is the boundary between us? Where is the boundary between our emotions? So if I experience anger, like everything that I experience is anger. If I experience love, everything that I experience is love. Where is the boundary between anything? It's like total intimacy. Like on, if you go beyond the human, on the human level, as we can talk about that level later, but on the absolute level, like, yeah, you could call it love, like consciousness is also love. 
What I haven't talked about is the I am, which is another thing when you talk about consciousness that's talked, that's talked about. In my interpretation of everything, I normally call the I am everything and the consciousness nothing. That sounds really weird, but that's how I associate it. Like, um, but maybe if you have any questions, like if there's anything that I'm saying that's really like, and you can ask anything, like, a, like it's good for me to like gauge like where it's going. <laughs> I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying. You're, you're articulating things very well. Yeah. Yeah. If there's such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I like the way you qualified yeah. what you mean by like I am and that sort of. It's very. I'm totally understanding yeah. what you're saying because yeah. you're you're yeah you're explaining why you choose certain words, which is helpful. Yeah. Because it can get confusing if you don't do that. Yeah. But you are doing that, so that's fine. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I also would put the love with the I am, which for some people is a weird thing to, to do, but I would say that is love. And then the consciousness is like this wisdom. So it's so similar to what Nisargadatta and Maharaj would say. So to know I'm nothing is wisdom, to know I am everything is love. And in between my life resides. I think that's so beautiful, that quote. So, and I can kind of listen to most teachers and have a sense of what they're speaking about, even though it sounds so different for, yeah. Like I would have never been able to connect like Tony Parsons and Eckhart Tolle now. And Tony Parsons would hate it to ever hear that I could connect them. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like I could hold them both easily and really respect. I don't always agree with everything they say, but that doesn't even matter what's that. Yeah. Just agree or disagree. Yeah, but in the end, they kind of come together. But yeah, I think it's so, I mean, you can also see how you could call it love, like consciousness. So I wouldn't have separated, it wouldn't have necessarily separated that. Yeah. And you could see that most of the problems between people come from language. Yeah. yeah. One says one thing and it's been heard in myriads of ways. And yeah. Yeah. And it's trying to point to the same thing. This is it. Yeah. So different people may use different language. Yeah. But it's always trying to point to the same. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Some people might have a different view to somebody else. So I guess. Yeah. Like Tony Parsons, like you were saying, with Eckhart Tolle, you might say, no, I don't agree. Yeah, yeah. I have my own interpretation of it. Yeah. So not everyone is trying to point to the same thing. Well, um, yeah. I don't know about that. Like for me, it feels like they are, but it's like someone explained this to me once with like high intelligence. Like um, I have some friends that have like very, or some people that I've met that have very high intelligence, and like um, like um, <laughs> like like one thing they were saying to me is that that often like people can't see that they've got high intelligence. So only other people can see that have high intelligence can see they've got high intelligence. So if you've got high intelligence, the people that say have average attention, intelligence can't look up and see the higher intelligence. Whereas the people that have the higher intelligence can look down and see it. And so it's the same with this, like who knows, like in the end, like Tony Parsons, 
that could disagree. Maybe he does have a higher perspective, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's Eckhart Tolle. Like we would never know until we're up there looking down. Like we can't tell. Like it's impossible. I can't tell. I don't feel like I have a higher perspective on either of those. Like I don't know. I just feel like it all resonates in my heart and I like it all, even when they disagree. Also, you lovely pointed that part of our uh, noticing is beyond judgment. Yeah. And the culture of upbringing and all the way the libraries of what we know and yeah. you know, the influence of society or yeah. family or teachers and stuff brings so many meanings. Yeah. These meanings just sneak in yeah. so quickly. Yeah. And you know, one says love and means love but love means so many things to so many people like yeah yeah like things like this like a you know like universal things like yeah and yeah goodness gracious good luck yeah that's the mean when the meaning sneaks in that's probably the yeah where the where the, where people start operating within conclusions within yeah. sort of reports rather than yeah the immediacy of what's happening that's where the yeah, totally. Yeah, and then believing that our meanings are true. Mm. Meaning is helpful. So it's helpful in our society if we know what the meaning of car is. Like we have some sort of like comprehension of what it means by phone or cabinet. So meaning is relative in the human world, but in the absolute world or when you begin to question this subject, you, you, you see there is a relative meaning to things, but then there's another aspect of us that's so mysterious like really we just don't know on that level like we are watching we are conscious there is consciousness happening but we don't know what that is we don't know what that means it's a looking we don't we can't it, we can't get outside of our consciousness and then have like a good examination of it and be like oh this is what consciousness is science scientists are trying to look at what consciousness is or to look at if you go even further what no thing is but we, d we can't ever step outside of that and look. We are it, there is looking, but it doesn't have any words to it. It doesn't have any instructions to it. It's like, it's looking and there's, it has no quality, like at all. It just is looking. And then it, it goes, as it integrates into the human, there are qualities to it. So some teachers would say that, that like the knowing of that creates bliss or creates love or creates these different states but in itself inherently there is no quality to our looking like to our experiencing now like that beyond if you go beyond feeling if you go beyond thought if you go beyond sensation that the looking has no quality it has no start and stop we think it stops it starts here the consciousness but actually when you really go into it maybe the consciousness comes from all the objects like where would you even define that? Like, I'll find that. I don't, this is another thing that can happen. If you're into Buddhism, I don't know if they have the same language in all Buddhist groups, but they, um, the Buddhist group I was with used to talk about samapatis, and they used to say this was like disorientation of the body. Have you ever heard of this? Where your head feels like it's on backwards or your hands feel like they're twisted. Have you heard of this, Lewis? No? <laughs> like, so... The, the, this 
you can also get that from drug experiences or drink or alcohol where your body begins to feel different. And this is a really interesting learning curve because even the assumption of what our energetic body is, is an assumption that we're making. Like, so you can have some amazing experiences when you meditate or when you like, do these different spiritual practices because you begin to learn that the feeling of your leg is, is not necessarily your actual experience. That sounds so weird. Like, so I would be sitting there meditating and sometimes I'd feel like my head was on the ceiling and I'd be like, this is really like, and like if you went into psychology, they would be like, oh gosh, she's having depersonalization, all these negative things. But it's, it's actually, it's really profound to go beyond what we think is happening because when you do that, you be, begin to question all your presumptions like you've always been told you're a certain body with a certain size, you might notice that your sense of your body changes if you're in a good mood or bad mood, if you feel confident or not confident. But also if you begin to question, like how big are you in experiencing? Like so normally, we, our consciousness is limited to our body because we're telling ourselves that. Whereas this energetic shift that I'm talking about is that you begin to see that you're your essence, so beyond the person, like Lisa is, uh, you could say, limited to this body, but beyond that, like, where is your sense of self, which is sense of consciousness? How big is it? Like, if you were to shut your eyes now, if you just, you just practiced or try this, like, so if you shut your eyes, We have an image inside our head of what our body looks like now, which is really amazing. What other animal can do that? <laughs> so we have an image, but there is the possibility of going beyond that image. We also have a story. So our story might be that we're not good enough, that we are better than, we know more than, we know less than. Wish it whatever the, the story is. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, what that person did or didn't do. But if you go into the experience, beyond your image of self, beyond your stories, and even beyond the feeling of you, like how big and or small are you? If you don't use thought, where are you? You just become really present, sort of with the background idea that there is no you that can become really present. But if there is a presence that happens, where are you? What size are you? Where is, where does your foot end and the floor begin? Where does your back end and the chair begin? How big is your head? So your consciousness is really, your essence is really in experiencing. And in this experiencing right now, there is no size to you.
you are not a size. You're not your story. You're not your feelings. You are the sound of my voice. You're all the sounds outside. You're the warmth, the coolness. Beyond meaning, just in this moment, you are what's appearing, which is everything. So how does this make people feel? Like, um, yeah, what's your experience when this happens? Like, you can say anything. If it makes you feel alienated, if you feel really relaxed, like it's really gives me juice to work with. <laughs> juice. <laughs> when you're talking about, when I close my eyes and you talk about everything that was happening was um, me or whatever, you know, like the birds tweeting, something like that. At that point, if, it, if I say I, am I immediately losing? Because I would like, if, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's me and it's all, you know, and you use the word I, I want that experience to become pleasurable. Yeah. So I seek pleasurable things. Yeah. Rather than just what is. Yeah. As soon as I say I would like. Yeah. To feel love or warmth or, or yeah. start manifesting bank account going up, like, those sort of weird things. Is that losing the point? No, or, that's. Or is that is that that not become? Is that, is that yeah. Do you understand? Yeah, I mean? yeah, totally. So in Buddhism, the they call this, so there's a difference between like desire, well, it depends what British group you're in, like just like non-duality, but the way I was taught it was there's a difference between desire and craving. Mm. So there is natural desire towards pleasure. This is the way our bodies are made up and this gets us into all types of mischief because we all have particular pleasures and dislikes. So some of us like might, I've got coffee in here, might like the coffee, <laughs> afternoon coffee. Like so, and that's not the best thing to be drinking, but that's what it likes. <laughs> so, um, and that's a pleasure to drink that. Um, and it's a pleasure to talk about this subject. It's not such a pleasure to do all my admin, which I had to do for my accountant yesterday. It's not so pleasurable. You get into the zone, it's okay. Like just doing the numbers but it's not so pleasurable. So this is what our bodies have and we're dealing with all the time. It's what directs us. We think that belongs to us. So we think I'm in control of my pleasures, which makes us very judgmental sometimes and hateful and also idolizing people. Because we're like, why would they do that? Or, oh, that's so wonderful, they do it. They do it because that's the way they're programmed. So I've got, a, I have a dog and she's, she's a, she used to live on the streets in Thailand. Like, I was one of those crazy tourists that got sucked in by the big eyes and <laughs> like prospect of her being killed. And I also am a bit funny. I don't like to feed her dog food and I like to feed her raw stuff. And her favorite is, is I'm a vegan. Her favorite, <laughs> what I do for this dog is so gross. But her favorite is, thank goodness, a chicken leg. It's not like eyeballs or brain. Her favorite is a chicken leg or a chicken breast or something. Organic, preferably, is what she likes the most. But so if I put that and a carrot in front of her, she does also like carrots, but which one do you think she's going to pick? The, 
the other chicken and we all know that she couldn't do it any other way like we can have that sympathy for the dog because we know like through genetics like breeding like there's there's so many things that could cause her to pick chicken and it's the same for us i can't help it that i drink coffee i can try to recondition myself by in by reading all the bad things about coffee and that might recondition me to stop it but i can't help in each moment the pleasures that i pick neither can any of you like i'm sure there's many pleasures you pick you have that you'd be like oh, i wish i didn't have that pleasure or or the or pain as well we all have them written to our body and it determines our life and it makes things easy for us or difficult for us and we can recondition them to an extent like i really don't think i could ever recondition khaleesi to stop liking chicken i just how i don't even know how i would do that but she just loves it like so we can but as humans we can recondition ourselves by putting information in and then we learn about things and we change but that's still not a personal doership it's still something that's simply happening so we have all these natural desires and then we have this other element called separation that happens and this is where buddhists called or my buddhist group called it craving where we believe that that pleasure is going to one day lead us to freedom whereas khaleesi doesn't think my chicken's going to lead me to freedom she doesn't sit there imagining like she's in agony imagining when she gets to eat her chicken like the freedom that it'll have or like she didn't in thailand envision like she totally sucked me in like they could smell the weak tourists like i used to have like 10 15 dogs follow me down the beach and I'd be like, <laughs> i was going to like move there and then i realized i couldn't i would just be like the dog lady with like 10,000 dogs so so she didn't but she when she did that she didn't sit on the beach and be like hmm, i'm going to immigrate to england i hear it's quite good there for dogs you get fed this like raw chicken organic not like eating out of the bins it just there was like an instinct in her to move towards me and to like keep coming back towards me so she didn't have this separation from her pleasure and then this imagination like when i get to england my life is going to be good i'll finally be safe like i'll finally have arrived like she she just does her pleasures in each moment but we as humans because we've got self awareness which is an amazing quality we get into this program of our pleasures are going to complete us one day and then it turns into craving so this is what tony would say is seeking that we get into this dynamic of seeking to find freedom in our pleasures and this gets us into more trouble than just on original pleasures so our original pleasures can be difficult for us but then when you seek in your pleasure because if you believe your girlfriend is your happiness is your freedom or if you believe that your work or money is your freedom then it becomes too important it becomes this massive like people would kill themselves over these types of subjects is so important to us and this is why non-duality to me to a healthy happy life is so important because you're realizing that that your pleasures are pleasures and that's okay but that you won't ever find freedom in a daydream of the future So even though it's so elusive to us that if we collect enough money we'll be able to relax. I I meet such a wealth of people through this and I meet lots of millionaires like that then the reason that I meet lots of millionaires or billionaires is because they really get the money you don't finally arrive. 
they then have to protect their money because everybody else wants it. Like, so then they're like sitting on all their eggs, like, <laughs> like, and then there's all types of complications when you have money. And then this is the biggest elusive one too. I see more maybe than relationships that enough money will allow me to relax. If you've been unrelaxed your whole life, it's not going to suddenly change by getting this. You, it just won't. You'll get another problem. Your mind will go to another problem of how to maintain it, how to save it, which stocks to put it in. Like it, it seems very complicated having lots and lots of money. Like I, I think a good amount, like an average amount, is nice. Like they say there's 25,000, I think, a year, or to, say maybe 30,000 a year if you earn that then your happiness level doesn't change after that if you go up any more than 30,000. Because like, maybe it's gone up now, though, with society, but they did a study <laughs> where 30,000 was enough to make us not feel like we were on the breadline, so we felt comfortable enough. Something like 30,000 a year. And I don't know if that was dollars or euros or pounds. Oh yeah, really yeah, that much? Thirty thousand is not enough. It's still like thirty. <laughs> you know, rent yeah, yeah, supply. yeah, yeah. Maybe it's dependent. Sixty-five or seventy. Okay, sixty-five or seventy. Okay. That was in dollars. The research was American. It was, it was Ameri Okay, so maybe about fifty thousand pounds a year. Yeah. So fifty thousand. Okay. So double, nearly double. Sorry. <laughs> No, I'm terrible in memory. Um, so th this is, and this is what we do. We, so we spend a whole lifetime just seeking in our pleasures. And what non-duality is suggesting is that this moment, which, or the what's happening now is the freedom. So it's this remembering of something that's here present. It doesn't mean your body won't go and collect money or won't go and have partners or whatever it is that it likes. It's just seeing that you never, ever find freedom in any of it. it. It just continuously turns. Like you'll be rich, you'll be poor, you'll be happy, you'll be unhappy. The emotional body will turn. So, The cynic in me says that, you know, that this, is, uh, this is another, you know, in the same way that maybe, you know, someone outside this room has never heard non-duality is chasing money to make them happy. Yeah. Um, you know, having it's my experience but that's pretty bold to claim <laughs> like also like, like I don't want to I, um, like I would I would say that I'm, I'm not talking from a place of hope like I can tell 
I can, on the human level, I'm sure that there's times when I use um, the ideas or concepts of non-duality to make things better. You know, like when you know when you're in a really like stressful situation. So it's, it's, I'm sure that there's times when I do that. Like it's hard to, to judge. But I'm sure that happens. But there, there is something else that happened that I can't. that there was an energetic thing that happened about 10 years ago and I, I just feel it just feels like this wealth of freedom but it's not personal that sounds so crappy when you say it like that but it and that isn't a story and and before that I never re I didn't really think that was possible really there was some part of me that hoped that it was but I can see how it sounds like a hope to you. And I can see how the mind would use that. So then if I was working with you in a one-to-one -one session, because that's most of the time how I work rather than being in big groups. So I was one-on-one -on -one with people. So if I was working with you on a one-to-one -one level, once you asked that question, I wouldn't really answer that. I'm answering it most probably because we're in a big group and I don't want to put you on the spot. But if I would move away from that a bit and my experience and I would go to what actually happens to you in that dynamic and I'll just speak generally, not so much about you. So I would then go into talking about chakras and the body. So we've got this consciousness part, which I would say from my experience, even though we can question the my, my, there is this energetic shift that can happen and there is a freedom that happens in that. But I can see how that can become a psychological game for the person to deal with difficult scenarios. So then I would move that away from that and I would go on to the psychology of the person. So when I talk about the person, I talk about chakras, not because I believe in all the wooey hooey stuff that they say about chakras, but because from my experience, the chakras describe very well the emotional and physical body. So you know when you feel fear, I don't know if you've ever felt fear so bad you feel like you're going to shit yourself. Like so in Chinese medicine they they would actually be able to connect fear to your organs and why you that happens and the and um and the meridians and the same with like heartache if you um have a broken heart you you do physically feel it in your heart. Like I'm sure you guys have experienced this. Um and you know when you don't express yourself, you know when you're like in a situation where something's really sad, you're watching a film and you don't want people to know that you want to cry. Like, so you just hold it in and then it feels like you've got like a big, like something blown up in your throat and you can barely speak. Like, so we have these chakras and I think they're really accurate at describing physical, what happens to you physically with emotions and, and your emotional centers. So what you describe the hopelessness is is something that happens in the human world. And this is different from the consciousness. The consciousness is here, no matter if we're feeling hope or hopelessness. So the consciousness is like a different story in a way. And that's something that you as the human can never arrive at. You're never gonna get consciousness. You're never gonna understand it, but there can be some type of shift where this is remembered. But we still have to live in the human world. And what happens to us in the human world is we have these chakras that can open or close, and they're meant to do that. They're not meant to always be open, I don't think. 
So if somebody came up to you and told you that you were an asshole and that they really hated you, more than likely what would happen is your heart chakra would close and you'd begin to feel physical pain in your heart. What you would do is you would most probably defend that, so not deal with it, and you'd defend it in your brain and you'd start telling yourself what an asshole they are, or maybe you'd start attacking them or you'd defend or something. So you'd go into your mind and you most probably wouldn't feel that in your heart. And this is when people really chronically ignore their emotions and feelings, they end up having like sick bodies. Not all the time, that's not the reason for all sickness, but this is sometimes what we do. Hopelessness, I think, is one of the most difficult, hope and hopelessness is one of the most difficult human emotions to deal with. And I think if it's not understood and dealt with on a human level, it can easily lead to depression. So hope, to me, is from here. Because I don't know if any of you can feel this area. If you can't feel it, you can poke there a little. <laughs> you can, and it's really like sensitive area, and it's it's a it's um, so this ch chakra here is about choices. This all sounds really esoterical, but I, I promise you, this is from my own experience, and I really. I might have talked myself into this, but I really experienced these things. So you, this, this chakra is about choice. So when this chakra is open, you feel empowered and you feel that like you can make a choice. Like, so you feel that you have the ability to choose now to get up and walk out if you don't like it or to stay sitting. When, you, when it's closed, you might feel disempowered like you can't walk out. But I'll just talk about the openness. So when it's open, you feel empowered that you can choose. You feel like you can do things, that you can achieve things. You feel um, like... Um, um, like in a way, there's that sense of infinite possibilities, that anything is possible. It's, um, there's other feelings to it, but I might forget them now. It's a feeling of strength feeling of action, empowered. So that's what it feels like when it's open and positive. And when it's in its negative, it can feel hopeless, depressed, frustration, anger, like all the yucky ones, um, disempowered and inability to choose. And the, that hopelessness is depression. Like so it's like that sense, like very bad depression where you feel totally stuck, like invisible and often we're unconscious of this so this is acting out in our day-to-day -day life and then we associate it with non-duality so we go we we re don't realize that feeling hope and the desire for something to happen is to do with the chakra and absolutely nothing to do with non-duality so your hope for non-duality is actually this chakra either in or out of balance and it's got nothing to do with the subject of non-duality. I know that sounds really impossible. Impossible. It's actually to to. It's all about the personal, and it's all about your personal psychology. Feeling better. Yeah, feeling better. Yeah. And then when you listen to non-duality, you're right. You start hoping, which can open the chakra, but it can also close it because you feel disappointed that non-duality will fix your life. And you don't realize that they're actually not connected because it sounds like they are. Like, how can it not be about me, non-duality? Why would I be here if this doesn't make my body feel better? And, and often, 
like even when I speak, I make it sound personal and I make it sound like it's got something to do with you as a human arriving at something and being hopeful. So I, when, you, when people ask this type of com question when I'm in a one-to-one -one session with them, is that I really explore this area with, with them and what it is to be hopeful or to not be hopeful or to wish for something or not wish for something and just get them used to experiencing the opening and closing of that chakra and seeing when it's happening. So seeing that you can come here, you can listen to this subject and you can, you can have like a positive experience from non-duality, but you don't have to be lost in the story that non-duality is going to fix your human life and that you're gonna arrive somewhere in the future and be free. That you can just adjust or work with this chakra and that experience of it will change. Does any of that relate to your experience or is that a little woo-woo or? It's okay if it's woo-woo. Uh, it's for me, it's just, it's all, it's all on the, on, just on the brink of being tangible. <laughs> I don't quite, um, yeah. you know, like there's a bit of like, and just as soon as I think, oh yeah, I kind of get that bit and then. It goes. And also just, I don't know, because I've, I've never even heard the word chakra until about 10 minutes ago. So like, you know, I'm yeah. still trying to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I most probably on the human level use non-duality to fix that a bit. You know, like I go into, like, um, like it's so easy to go into that bliss of non-duality, but it's the pain of it, it's pain of life. Like life can be really sad sometimes. And it's, it's seeing that these two are really different subjects, but it, they often come together because as you begin to get into non-duality, you inevitably begin to become more realistic about what it is to be human. And a lot of the time you have to clear up being human, so you have to become less neurotic and able to, in order to hear it. Like when the person's really neurotic and uncomfortable, you're like, um, you're deeply involved in yourself. And when you become more comfortable, then there's more of like, less clutter or something. You're not so focused on what you can or can't get. So they are, I would try and separate them out and I would love to go in more depth to you what it is to be hopeful and what it is, what the solar plexus or this energy is and the stories that it tells us and how it convinces us of things and how it hopes and, and just coming back to feel like that it's okay to feel disappointed, that it's okay to want to escape some of the things that we have to see in life. Like that's really okay. But it's also not the solution either. It's just the solution actually is, is to be really in one way radically human and feel it all. Like that life does have disappointments, that life does have sadness. They're really feeling it. Does anybody else have anything else? I would love to go into that more, but I feel like it's, in order to go into it with somebody, you have to really get them to go into their story. And I feel like it's not so easy when you're in a, a group, like they have to go really into their story to feel it and to really recognize it. It's not easy to show it like less personally. 
different things so they appear you could utilize things but when when you're honest deadly honest with a very very immediate what's yeah, happening yeah yeah so if it's pain it's just pain yeah totally yeah and of course we prefer pleasure but and that's never going to escape. You're going to prefer pleasure. That's the way it's set up. Like if we preferred pain, then we'd be sadistic. Like it, it's the way it is. But it is, it's, it is as it is. It's pain, yeah. and it's really, like on the human level, really comprehending that, that, like it's bound to be half and half. It's bound to be half, or maybe you get like sixty or seventy percent pleasure and thirty percent pain. And maybe slightly the other way around as well. Like it's so on the hum human level, you said it, it might be impeded with words. Sorry, forgive yeah. me that. But you yeah. said something like first you said something like perception shift, which actually. Because of another kind of perception is sort of maybe an ease of what we were holding on to that sort of shift. But from the other hand, you said on a human level, just reminding yourself that. <laughs> I said what? The, the, the go, I go. The conclusion or report is not the. It's not the what's happening. It's just. It's just. Yeah. It's just a story. You just have to tell me that again because you know you know sometimes when somebody reflects something back that you've said you kind of like have I one know, of those I blankness I, isn't it? Like? <laughs> I can't remember. You know what I mean? It's a similar to what Gan was saying that you know um, um, this reminding yourself of what what's actually happening, what's actually what's going on right here. Yeah. But what doesn't change for that immediacy yeah. of, of the yeah. experience, direct, direct experience, yeah. direct experiencing what is. Yeah. On a human level, that re reminding of it, it, it brings some, some ease. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it brings some ease. I think maybe what I was relating to, I've forgotten that. Mm. I've, like sometimes when I do talks, I'm a little bit like a goldfish, like six seconds, I've said it, and then I'm like, what did I say? I think it has to be like that, otherwise it'd be too intense. Um, I think maybe what I was relating to is that like, sometimes it's good to bring in ease from that remem remembrance, and sometimes it's good to, to just allow it to be really uncomfortable. It's like a gentle balance. But so you sometimes allow yourself to just be really uncomfortable and then sometimes it's like, like moving your attention away into what you truly are. Even though really none of it's your choice, it's happening. <laughs> so from the perspective of consciousness, there's really nothing happening, there's just this moment. So from the absolute perspective, so there isn't somebody going through time that's progressing. There's just this moment. So that's from the absolute. From the human level, there does seem to be someone going through time. And I would say that
that it, it is that human does have hope that it, it would that it would get somewhere better and if it didn't it would most really be sadistic like it's meant to work towards pleasures it's meant to go forward like it's and there's nothing wrong with that at all I would say that having hope as long as it's in the right like you understand what that hope is and you understand what it's coming from and where it's going and you understand the feelings and you're not unconscious of it then it's really it can be beautiful and it can be healing on the human level as opposed to no hope and feeling depressed and disaster and to feeling really uncomfortable and I think there's nothing wrong with that like I'm a writer as well and um, I'm writing a book about a cat called Andrew it's from his perspective who lives in a cult that channel future people it's a really, it's, I'm really like, um, I love sci-fi and mystery. So it's like a mystery and a sci-fi and fantasy all combined. And I have hope that that will be completed and that that will get published. And that helps me in staying focused and staying motivated. And I use that to get my energy going with it. You know, I use it in a positive way. And I think really positively about it. And it gives me ecstasy in my heart and in my solar plexus. <laughs> And it's really, I don't sit there and worry about it not going or that's what I did when I was younger and I used to fail often because of that and get myself into dark places. So I use that kind of the law of attraction or these types of practices to get me being creative, to get me going in the morning sometimes and I can't be bothered. Yeah, actually the reason, so when I first, it often happens when people first start speaking, they often tend to be very like extreme non-duality, not all the time, but often. And then you see them like lessen over time and become more human. What began to happen to me, which I found really painful, was that I would see people using non-duality to try and fix their marriage or try and fix, like I'd often come across like young people that hadn't started a career yet. And we're in, you know, that terrible place that we all go through where you're kicked out of home and you suddenly like, go <laughs> now go <laughs> you know like, well I'm not ready can I come back in <laughs> and then they're using non-duality to try to avoid that like and um and I understand and so I just started speaking human with them and being like what do you feel now like like what like you're like you're obviously distressed like what's what's happening and they're sort of using non-duality like there is nobody but there's nobody here and you can see that they're distressed and then they're repeating non-duality back to you and to themselves a lot of the time and it's kind of making it worse like they're kind of becoming more detached from the actual original problem and so I just I speak mostly one-to-one -one with people so in a group it's easy to do the non-duality like hardcore non-duality and it's really beautiful I think that's like a really radical meditation when you go and listen to like Tony Parson but when I started speaking to people one-on-one -on -one, I could see that really like sometimes there was the interest in non-duality and and when that came up I could speak to them about it and then other times it was because their marriage was falling to bits, their kids, there was a problem with kids or like their childhood or getting a career or money. And they were say traumatized by that and non-duality, using non-duality, like hardcore non-duality to fix that, it's a disaster. It's like, get yourself more detached from the actual problems. Like 
your heart is breaking because your wife or your partner is leaving you and you're like, there is nobody, there is nobody, there is nobody, there is nobody. <laughs> and, and I just couldn't do that. I just had to be like, so what's happening in your heart now? And then they're like, <laughs> but there is nobody. <laughs> and, then you, and then that's how I started speaking like more personally. It just evolved over time. And some people, I still totally love like hard the hard message and i really agree with it like it's god's will it how it happens and it's a mystery and it's so beautiful and it's so divine but ungraspable for the human um but really that's only a problem for the human when the solar plexus is out of balance like do you really care about that it's only when the solar plexus is is in depression and feels like it's stuck and feels like it can't do something that suddenly feels disturbed about not being able to get to non-duality. So it's just going back to the original source of the problem. And then once that's all more balanced, then we go for the non-duality. Like, so you settle all that down and you sort of put it in place. Okay, so your heart's, your wife's leaving you and it fucking hurts and you're in pain. You can't find a career. You can't get a job. You've been sacked. Like, so you feel distressed about money. So let's acknowledge those feelings. And then when they feel more settled in that and they can see that they're, going to nobody is just a defense and they just feel more relaxed in the actual feeling of it then you go in with the hard stuff <laughs> here we go <laughs> so that's how i tend to work with people but it tends to be one-on-one -on -one and i prefer that yeah. and because then you can really like you can't really go for so go into someone's stuff in a big group because that can be very traumatic for people like to that can it's well, too too much it can be liberating days like was no speaking at all so it was pressure cooking yeah and then group was intensively meeting every day for many hours and then suddenly speaking was allowed and yeah that, that you know that yeah cover just suddenly off and um, beautiful beautiful breaking yeah yeah do right as well yeah yeah spontaneous and people like didn't even know yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I've experienced groups like that at Osho before as well, in a really contained space and yeah. really getting close and vulnerable. So uh, it wasn't easy to speak. You know, yeah. So many people doing that. Yeah. So that's so that's basically it's like um, I'm so happy to work with the person and work in time. But it's just looking at what hope is and why we use that and what's happening in us and why we need the hope and just looking at that feeling that and then we go for the non-duality and it's like the same as the law of attraction we put the non-duality in there and then we just give it to god and we see what happens and in the end of course there's going to be a recognition of freedom like it, of course that's going to happen because that's what you are so you can't like hide from yourself forever it's, it's going to happen. And when you work with people, how do you tend to work with people? Um, so it really depends as to what somebody, um, how, like what happens in the original conversations. Um, so if it depends on how the person opens up to me. 
Yeah, so it depends. So it might be that the whole time I'm just talking about non-duality with them, so really like pointing to non-duality and speaking like that. But if if I detect that there's something else happening, then I will begin to ask them about that feeling. And then if they're reluctant to talk about the feeling, then I'll do all types of different things. Like I'll start asking them about their childhood or I'll start asking them about the past or their work. And then I'll find ways in to then connecting that feeling with their body. So in your body now, and if this feels too much for you, please say, because that's the whole part of it. Like, what do you feel like in your body? So I'll totally take your lead so you can say anything. You don't have to get it right or wrong. Probably the way a bit of heaviness, but also vitancy. Yeah. So it seems to be a mix of the two. Yeah. So then if we started the session like that, I might go for the vibrancy and then that would most probably take us to non-duality. But if you were to say, I have pain in my heart or I have pain in my shoulders or in my neck, then I would go different way I mean just from my own um, point of view I find meetings like this I get I still feel it physically yeah. um, and I think you know, when we spoke um, through Skype I mentioned I've done well over the years I've done a lot of emotional releasing and with that when you start the process you feel surface level emotions like um, you know, just anger or just frustration or whatever, it's just whatever's happening now and you feel it in your stomach and your chest. Yeah. And you just, and the visualisation they say to get the ball rolling is feel like there's a trap door, but like a door that opens up and it flows out. And that's a very easy way to get started. And then you, you go a bit deeper, focusing on feelings of control, approval, no, sorry, feelings of wanting control, approval, security, which is basically sort of groups of feelings or groups of beliefs, so letting go of chunks. And then at a certain point you start feeling, you focus on feelings of separation and let that go, which sort of pulls out whole, whole sections of stuff all at once. Um, and I found as I went deeper with that, yeah, just sort of, I don't know, the releasing process, and especially for hours, days, or even maybe, well, maybe not weeks, but maybe weeks after there's like physical buzz. And I get a similar thing from meetings. Mm. Um, and just seems to be a physical sensation and then I can feel my emotions can change quite a lot and often I can be quite emotional for well, days, if not longer afterwards. So yeah. I don't know, they just seem to sort of shake me up and then... <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so that's uh, that, and I would say that that's what I kind of am doing with people that along that lines, like, like um, but just in my own unique way. Yeah. And it does seem to be when you settle down the human, then there's an op opening for something else, like this resonance that I would, I would call it beyond the personal. So you know that vibrancy. Like that's why I used to go to Tony's meetings was because when I went, it was like I felt like I vibrated with something, like it was like a, a really deep meditation. And, um, and like I don't see it as you getting somewhere, so you getting more free, even though that's how we might label it in time, but it seems to correlate that the more that you become relaxed with yourself and okay with being here and stop searching for so much stuff, then you can hear this other part of the message. 
this this non-dual part and that's all I do in sessions is I just wait for people until I can go in with non-duality but I don't try to use non-duality to fix heartache or hopelessness or depression I use other techniques that I've learned from Osho from my own experience and I just dance between the two I think that's what mo that's what the the Vedas did I think that's what happens in Buddhism like the settling of the mind but then when you come to it and really see like who is it that wakes up now like where is that person that did all that emotional release <laughs> and who wakes up like it really isn't that person that wakes up but for sure it seems like that person has to become thinner for the light to shine through but that's all in imagination again and our ability to connect one word to the other and here is presence here is that light like it's shining it's non-divided and I think it's really okay to hold that dichotomy of, of like speakers like myself that seem to give prescription and then also not and then teachers that really dismiss that and it's okay to not know and it's okay to have these different messages we don't need to know or sew them up or make them balance that's just for the taxes <laughs> we can let it all not balance it used to be a big concern for me as well like I remember when I first went to Ramesh like after spending a while with Tony like I had a difficulty in Ramesh saying, giving prescription and telling me what to do. And then the bajangs and the kissing the feet and the guru. And I just didn't care anymore. I was like, oh well, <laughs> doesn't make sense. Maybe we just go in, I'm not sure what time it is, but we have a bit of silence now. Maybe we've done enough talking. Mm -hmm. Do you think, what time is it? It's 25 to 5. Maybe we can call it an afternoon. <laughs> yeah, thank you.